second bye week of the season. Definitely a weird feeling, but now we have a really, really tough matchup against the Maryland Terrapins, where Ohio State comes in as a 44-point favorite. And them, them Terps, what a uh, what a story of two seasons for this Maryland Terrapins team, Mike. Uh, I think their opener, they beat Howard, correct me if I'm wrong, they beat Howard 79 to nothing. And then in week two, they played a, a top 15-ranked Syracuse team and hung, like, 63 on them. And I thought, man, maybe, you know, could Maryland be the third-best team in the Big Ten East? And now I'm at a point where it's like, are they much better than Rutgers? Oh, it's absolute disaster. The wheels came off. They lost uh, to Temple the next week. And then I recall, uh, this was probably one of the dumbest things I've ever said, but they had a bye week. They were 2-1. and one. They were hosting Penn State. It was the inaugural uh, Big Ten Friday night game. And I called it the lock of the year that Maryland would at least cover as a four-point underdog. And they lost 59 to nothing to Penn State at home. And since then, Mike, Mike Loxley has, has, even in his first year, probably on the hot seat, Maryland football, uh, what is going on? They continue to just fall apart at the seams. Yeah, and it's not due to a lack of talent either, Mike. They have uh, a former starting quarterback at Virginia Tech and Josh Jackson. He was pretty pretty successful there. Um, came in and, and started well. They have Anthony McFarland, who ran all over the Buckeyes a year ago, and even still, not just including that game, is a pretty talented running back. Um, they have a, the defense isn't great, but they're, that that is a talent rich area. And so it's surprising that they're struggling, you know, in the ways that they are. Yeah, Anthony McFarland, he was supposed to be like a second or third All-Big Ten team performer, especially considering how he ran against Ohio State. He, I'm pretty sure he clips the 200-yard mark. And for the entire season this year, he has less than 500 yards. Master Teague has about 200 more yards than Anthony McFarland at this point. And Anthony McFarland just 4.9 yards per carry, and we know how explosive he is. So for a guy like that to not be breaking off big runs, it probably more so points to the offensive line, I would imagine. Uh, this offensive line's also given up 21 sacks in eight games, which is, which is pretty, or in nine games, sorry, which is pretty brutal. It's about two and a half sacks per game. So I don't know. And, and, and we didn't see them exactly light the world on fire against Michigan last week either as they were, they were destroyed 38 to 7. Yeah, and and correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the week before that they went to Minnesota and just got their doors blown off. I mean, and and let that sink. Yeah, they lost fifty-two to ten to Minnesota. Let that sink in for a second. You're you're getting your doors blown off by Minnesota. They got the doors blown off by Purdue. I mean, these are some some shocking type losses. Um, and yeah, this program is, it, it does feel like it's in a, a bit of, of disarray, Mike. Anthony McFarland Jr., I'm, I'm looking up the, that guy's statistics. And yeah, I mean, the last few weeks, 
He had four yards against Purdue, 38 yards against Minnesota, 60 yards against Michigan. He's just he's not getting it done. Also, one thing to say, like, we don't need to really go into huge, huge detail of this game, but this is, like, the best spot that we could ever get a Maryland team in. And not that we need to get Maryland in a great spot. I mean, it's Ohio State and, and Maryland, but they're going to be so beaten and battered after – losing to Minnesota by 42 points on the road. And then Michigan, they faced Jim Harbaugh. Uh, bully ball, you know, ran it up in the second half, and they were just running down their throat, down their throat. I think Michigan ended the game with, like, 40 rush attempts when it was all said and done. So I feel like Maryland's going to be very fatigued. And also, if they lose to Ohio State, which is pretty much a foregone conclusion at this point, I mean, they needed a win over Minnesota or Michigan to really stay alive for ball eligibility. Because at this point, they could even lose, if they lose to Ohio State and they win the rest of their games, they still won't be bowl eligible at five and seven, considering one of their wins was against Howard. So yeah, I mean, if, if I told you that the Maryland Terrapins are gonna after that two and zero start, we're gonna finish the year looking like three and nine at this point. That's uh, you know, I, I don't know. I think Mike Glossy, I think they might need to change a change a coach. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right, Mike. Three and nine is kind of a best case scenario or a uh, yeah, not a best-case scenario, but it's a likely scenario. Maybe they beat Nebraska at home, um, but they're not beating Ohio State or Michigan State on the road. Um, they're, Yeah, it, it's just going to be interesting. And, and Mike, we're going to get to this at the end of the podcast, but it, the whole Mike Loxley hire, it's an interesting one to me. I, I know that he's been touted as a, a great offensive mind. He did great things with Tua Tagovailoa and that receiving core at Alabama. But his his track record as a head coach, it's not good. He he has not won as a head coach. And and at what point do we start to to look at that and say, Oh, this guy, he might be a good coordinator, but that's his ceiling. There's nothing else. You know, at, at what point do we start to consider that? Yeah, he's been the the Alabama offensive coordinator in 2018. You're right, as you said, he was good with Tua Tagovailoa, but as a head coach, six and 37 lifetime. That is crazy. That is so bad. Uh, he did win the coordinator of the year in 2018. He won the Broyles Award, which is like given to the best offensive coordinator. But I think that's the big difference between Ryan Day and a lot of these coordinators that just get picked and thrown on as a, at a random head coaching spot. Ryan Day is not a great head coach because he has a great offensive mind. We are seeing over these last eight weeks, Ryan Day is a great coach because he is a great CEO of a program. He's a great motivator. He hires great assistant coaches like Jeff Loxley, Greg Madison, and Al Washington. And just week in and week out, he grinds and puts in the prep and kills it in the recruiting trail. And it just goes to show there's so much more to being a head coach than the X's and O's. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And it seems like he can go and get the recruits and, and hey, may, maybe, I don't know, the the way his offense has played in recent weeks, I'm not ready to say that, that he's a great offensive mind, um, but he, he's definitely not getting it done on the defensive end. Look, look at Ryan Day. Ryan Day went out and got Jeff Hathley. He got Greg Madison, Al Washington. And that defense for the Buckeyes is, is totally different. This is a defense for Maryland that in the last four weeks has given up 38 to a bad Michigan offense, 
52 to Minnesota, 34 to Indiana, 40 to Purdue without Rondale Moore or, or Elijah Sindelar. I mean, th- those are kind of, you know, breathtaking stats. Yeah, and it, I mean, what, what can you really say? And I guess the question that needs to be asked from an Ohio State point of view is, is Ohio State going to be motivated to show up in this game? Like, what is Ohio State's motivation? And I could totally see us not cover the spread just because we sleepwalk through this game and the bench players are playing in the second half. Is it possible maybe Ryan Day fires them up by saying, hey, you almost, you guys almost lost to these same players last year when you took these, this team for granted? Like, how do you think Ryan Day preaches to these guys to not get complacent in this kind of game? That is the, the age-old question, Mike. How how do you do that? How do you accomplish that? I think a big thing that you look at for this team is, is you play back a season ago and you say, we went to this play, we went over to Maryland, and we thought that this was going to be a walk in the park. We thought it would be a no-problem type of game. And lo and behold, we were a two-point conversion attempt away from losing the Maryland, losing a shot at the Big Ten Championship, losing a shot at playing in a Rose Bowl. Um, and and I, I think he's he's blasting that all week. We have to take this team seriously. Uh, and I, I think better and more important than that is this team, we've heard Chase Young say, we've heard J.K. Dobbins say, say we don't want to do what we've done the last two years where, where we have a game where we don't show up and it, it's – costs us a chance at a title. I think this team's going to be focused and ready to play. I would agree with that, and I would actually like to see what the what the initial CFP rankings are before I give my answer to how motivated Ohio State will be. Because I think Ohio State, unfortunately, might be a little demotivated if the rankings are released and we're number one. And although it would be nice to get that recognition – I could see them coming out with a little bit less intensity versus, you know, if Ohio State for some reason gets drawn as four, these guys are going to be like, what can you, po- what more can we possibly show you guys? You know, we just housed Wisconsin 38 to seven. We haven't given up more than 10 points all season since the first week. We beat Cincinnati as the top 15 team, 42 to nothing. You know, like in the words of the Gladiator, are you not entertained? So I, I personally think that a lot is going to ride on those on that, those CSP rankings, which are going to be released on Tuesday. Am I, am I off from thinking that, or are you kind of in line thinking the same way? Yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm thinking the same way, Mike. Um, yeah, uh, I, I don't think I have much, much more to add to that. Mike, let's, let's look at the national landscape as a whole. I think, you know, we'll get to our predictions later, uh, but I think we're both, pretty confident in, in what the Buckeyes are going to do this weekend. Let's look at the national landscape. Man, this is – is this the best weekend of college football that we've had this season? It, it's pretty good. I, yeah, I think this is actually a good week for Ohio State to play Maryland because sometimes if Ohio State has a big game, uh, you don't want to be, like, preoccupied with that game and miss out on the other ones. But Penn State, Minnesota, that's a top 15 matchup. LSU, Alabama at 330. Wow, hold on to your wow, that hold on to your hat. That's a great game, one versus two. And then also, you know, Iowa, Wisconsin's another game, at least for Big Ten football, which is gonna be fun to watch. 
Uh, and then the night game, Iowa State-Oklahoma. You know, Iowa State has been a, a threatening team this year, and, and they could potentially put Oklahoma out of the college football playoff race altogether. So the, I would say it's super exciting. What game are you most looking forward to? Uh, I, you'd be foolish to say to say anything other than LSU-Alabama. For the sake of good podcasting, I'm going to say I'm, I'm most excited for this minnesota Penn State team. We've talked about it a couple of times, Mike, but Minnesota feels like a team that, that probably isn't, you know, phenomenal. They're not the best team uh, in America, but they're starting to play with confidence, and they're starting to steamroll teams a little bit. Um, I think that, that this is going to be probably the most electric home game there in the P.J. Fleck era. I'd say since Ohio State played a noon game there in the 2014 season, Against a seven and one or eight and one Minnesota team, this is going to be the biggest game you know to date for them. Um, and so I'm I'm really excited for this. And if Minnesota wins, they're really kind of controlling their destiny in the Big Ten West. That it's it's almost all but over. Nate, I love that you gave that answer because you're really living up to your reputation as the Danny Cannell of this podcast. Always. Always sliding the SEC at every corner. Yes, that will be a fun game, but in all likelihood, Penn State will roll over Minnesota. Minnesota is a very deceptive 8-0. Meanwhile, I think that LSU-Alabama is the most interesting game simply for the fact that it's Joey Burrow taking on the evil empire. This is like Yankees-Red Sox, but we just have a LSU finally has a quarterback. They can finally score. In this rivalry, LSU, what, the last two times they played, I think LSU failed to score with Ed Orgeron. And I think that now with Joe Burrow and that high-flying offense, they could at least make it competitive. This is going to be a shootout. So, as you know, we thought LSU-Alabama was so much fun when it was 9-6 LSU final. Uh, you know, the final score of this game could be something like 49-46 either way. And I would, I'm just so looking forward to seeing that, seeing the up-and-down pace. And at the end of the day, it's also going to hand one of these two teams a loss and basically block that team from at least winning the SEC West, which which is just a good – site in itself, although I, I have a funky feeling that I think that team's going to be, whoever loses this game, I think is still going to be in the college football playoff picture. Mike, I'll tell you, I'm going to be absolutely nauseated. I've heard that <laughs> uh, Tua Tugavailoa is a game time decision, and you, you see how this is shaping up for Nick Saban, right? It, it's exactly... It's a perfect win-win situation. He, let's say he does end up playing, great. He He's playing, and they win, great, they won. They lose, oh, well, Tua was banged up. We didn't gonna, we didn't see them at full strength. Um, and then if he doesn't play, then they have that whole storyline. Oh, they won without Tua. Or, oh, well, they only lost because they didn't have Tua Tugavailoa. It, uh... Uh, it just frustrates me, Mike. Well, there is precedent. Or there is uh, precedent for that. Remember back the first year of the college football playoff, Oregon lost without their starting left tackle, and everyone was making a huge deal oh, about it. Like, oh, basically, it's not even a loss because the left tackle was hurt, <laughs> and then Oregon ended up being ranked in the final poll at at, at number. Uh, I think it was number two, right? Yeah, number two. So you just never know I what the committee's going to think. That. Yeah, that but before these games so are 
that, that we, we had a lot of fun talking about that, that's for sure. But before these games are played, we really do have to talk about, um, you know, what the rankings are going to be. And interestingly enough, I saw something tweet out by a ESPN analytics guy. His name is Jeff Saban. Paul Saban, sorry. No relation to Nick Saban. But he said, according to the All-State playoff predictor, the most likely teams to be in the top four of the initial Cowball rankings release are, drumroll please, Ohio State 1, LSU 2, Penn State 3, Alabama 4, Clemson 5. Wow. Wow. Penn State 3. That is shocking. That's based on past committee. I guess that's just based on what the committees voted on in the past and and they're just trying to, like, use the same metrics. They use FBI. It makes sense. I mean, Penn State has the number two overall in terms of strength of record. They have some quality wins. And, you know, remember back in the day when the initial college football playoff rankings would come out and, like, Ole Miss would be number three. Obviously, they didn't stay there for too long, but some of the, some big wins early in the season can really set the table. So, you know what? I would be pretty happy with that. I don't mind being the number one team. I know, I know it might be demotivated for the Maryland game, but – who cares if we beat Maryland by 20 versus 40? I, I think I think this team needs some dang recognition for how good they've been. Yeah, that's fair. That's see, I, and I'm I go the other way, Mike. It it makes me anxious. Um, <laughs> but that, that's probably partially because that's just you know the kind of kind of guy I am. Um, Mike, real quick, what do you think is going to be? Uh, if you have to give your prediction right now, give me your top four teams, one to four. Um, not in terms of what you would do, but what you really think the committee is going to do. I think the committee really appreciates strength of record, and I think they appreciate how much you dominate games. I think when you look at what Penn State's done, I think they're going to be a lot higher than people expect. I think Penn State, everyone expects them to be four or five. I think Penn State's going to be three I I actually kind of agree with this guy said, and I guess I'm being influenced by what he said. But in I, I could totally actually don't you know I'm going to flip LSU and Ohio State. I'm going to say LSU one, Ohio State two, Penn State three, Alabama four, Clemson five. At the end of the day, they're still going to give LSU the nod because of the big wins, quote unquote, big wins at Texas and facing Florida. But I I, I still think they're going to appreciate what Ohio State and Penn State have done because they've just had a harder schedule than Alabama and Clemson. See, here's what I expect to happen. I think LSU will be one and Alabama will be two. And I think that's because, hey, they want this big-time matchup. They want the one versus two matchup. Um, it also makes Alabama look better if they if they do get a win or a loss. I think there's some sort of bias towards Alabama, if you uh, couldn't tell. And then I think Ohio State will be three. I think Clemson will be four. And I think Penn State will be five, and I think the the great thing for the committee is LSU or Alabama is going to lose. I think that will drop them out of the top four, and that's going to allow Penn State to slide into the top four And in a, if they beat Minnesota, I should say. In an ideal world, Ohio State and Penn State will play in a couple of weeks as two top four teams as well. That's kind of like a pipe dream for for that committee. Yeah, that's true. We definitely want Penn State to keep winning, and as, as same thing with Michigan too. Because if we were to lose either of those games, uh, we want, I guess, the loss to look as good as possible. You know, we don't need a Purdue kind of blemish on our resume. Uh, 
And then as far as LSU-Alabama goes, are you just rooting against Alabama for the hell of it, or do you actually think it's better for Ohio State in the long run? Uh, I mean, uh, I don't know what's better, Mike. I know that I'm rooting against them, even though maybe I should. <laughs> I just know I will be. I, I can't stand Alabama. Um I guess in some ways it's probably better if they win because then it's just like, all right, they're going to be in. You know, it's kind of kind of solidified unless they're to lose to an Auburn team. I don't know. I, I, I go back and forth, I guess. Nate, let me paint you a nightmare scenario. We win the rest of our games, Alabama loses to LSU, and gets in without winning the SEC in general. LSU wins the SEC and is number two. We're number one. And then Alabama slips in as a four seed, not winning their conference, and has all that motivation and all of that rest, and Tua hasn't played a game in six weeks, and we're playing them in the semifinals. That's what I'm afraid of. So, yeah. I, oh, I don't, I, but, you I know, don't like that. I don't like that. Yeah. I don't care. I'm still rooting against them. Screw them. Joe Burrow is, uh, you know, we're, we're LSU Tiger fans at heart if it's not for Ohio State. So, uh, you know, sure. totally. Joe Tigers, however you say. Go Tigers. Um, okay. and I, I will – Wisconsin, do we care who wins this game? I guess Wisconsin, just because we beat them and they're on our schedule. Yeah, I think we, we pull for Wisconsin. I was telling you, Mike, before the podcast started, interesting little storyline is that if if Minnesota were to somehow win this weekend and, say, Wisconsin were to get beat by Iowa, Minnesota could could all but wrap up this Big Ten West already, which would be uh, just a, a shocking storyline. Yeah. Do you is, do you think there's any chance that Oklahoma or Baylor go down? Baylor is playing at TCU. Oklahoma is hosting Iowa State. Either of those upsets possible? I think uh, I think Baylor's going to go down. I think it's time. They're I mean they're they're just scraping by. They're they're, they're certainly the biggest joke of a undefeated team, and so I think they go down. Love what Matt Rule's doing out there, but. Uh, it, it's coming to an end. Yeah, they're number eleven as an eight and zero team for a reason. And I guess Nate, if you have to submit your, we've talked about what we want, but if we could just go down the list and say what you think, uh, Penn State at Minnesota, who do you favor in this one? Uh, I'm taking the Nittany Lions. I I love what PJ Flex doing, but the talent that that Penn State is gonna is gonna have is on a different level. I would agree with that, too. I think they're going to win pretty convincingly. And then LSU out at Alabama, as much as uh, I want LSU to win, I think Joe Burrow's Heisman campaign is going to kind of go down the flames here. I think Alabama is going to win this one by 10. I would expect Burrow to struggle against Alabama's secondary, uh, and that might actually put LSU out of the playoff picture, at least for now. I'm with you there, Mike. What precedent, you know, what do what do we have to believe that, you know, Edo is going to show up and be able to defeat them. There's just no precedent there. Um, and so I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm going to take, I'm going to take, uh, Alabama to win that one. And then I would say that I think Wisconsin is going to handle Iowa pretty well. I think Iowa struggles against the Wisconsin type teams. It's also home. Wisconsin's coming off of the back to back losses at this point. I think they're going to be extra motivated coming out of the bye week and kind of take this one home and win the rest of their games en route to winning the Big Ten West and 
scheduling a rematch against Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship. I'm going to predict ahead. I'm going to take the Hawkeyes just to, really? just to be different. I, I'm I'm weary that that this is kind of like the after after Wisconsin lost Ohio State. There's not much left to play for, and it feels like Iowa still does have something to play for. So I'm going to pick I'm going to pick the Hawkeyes to win that one. And Nate, I want to ask you a couple over-under questions. I guess this is the – whenever we play, like, lesser competition, this is always kind of the best way to do it. Uh, Justin Fields, will he play more than the first half against Maryland? Uh, he will, yes. I think he'll play two-and-a-half quarters. I think they'll trot him out for a little bit there in the third. Um, not because the game's close, but uh, just just to get him a few more reps. It's crazy to think he has 24 touchdowns. And if you include his rushing touchdowns this year, he has 33 touchdowns and one interception. He has just one been absolutely sure. phenomenal. Yeah, J.K. Dobbins, Master Teague. I think we're going to see a lot of Master Teague in this one. Um, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe they'll run J.K. Dobbins and hope to really pad his Heisman step. But let's do a J.K. Dobbins plus Master Teague. Will the two of them combine for over 250 yards? Yeah, yeah. Now I'll I'll take it a step farther and and actually say Master Teague has more yards than J.K. Dobbins. I think these next two weeks, I think that Ryan it would do Ryan Day a lot of good to you know run J.K. Dobbins, maybe get him a hundred yards, but then get him out because those final three weeks of the season, if if Ohio State is fortunate enough to make the Big Ten championship game. He's going to have to carry the ball 20 to 25 times. That's just what, what's going to be asked of him. And so uh, I, I think Master Teague will actually kind of lead the way uh, rushing for this football team this week. And J.K. Dobbins, four straight games and six out of the last seven, he's been over 100 yards. Only two games this year he's been under 100. Miami, Ohio, he only had eight carries. And then F- somehow FAU held J.K. Dobbins, 21 carries. 91 yards. And people are going to look back in the season and just say, how was Ohio State's hardest game, FAU at home, uh, you know, where they won- only won by 24? Uh, it's also it, the only game where we have to the spread. Yeah, crazy. Uh, and next one, so I'm just going to ask you point blank, who do you think the leading receiver is going to be in this game? Because I feel like you can make an argument for any of the top five guys. Garrett Wilson. You're all over that. I think it's the freshman. I know I've said it a few times, but he's getting more and more playing time. This is the type of game where he plays early and he plays often um, just for the sake of reps. And so I think I think it's going to be uh, Garrett Wilson. And then flipping over to the defensive side, obviously we have to talk about number two, Chase Young. Thirteen and a half sacks on the year. He, he leads the second place guy in sacks by four sacks. Crazy. He basically covered an entire football field, 95 yards lost on his sacks. That's pretty crazy in itself, uh, and five forced fumbles. So I'm just going to ask this point blank. Two or more sacks for Chase Young. Will he get two or more? He's going to have four again. Back wow. Back in the first half. <laughs> he's going to be a 17 and a half going into Rutgers week with a chance to get to 20 at that at that point. Bold call, I know. Um, 
but he's that good. He's come. This is, you know, kind of his hometown team. I know he's not going home to play, um, but I think he's really going to show out. Yeah, I think the defense is going to be a little fired up, and they're going to see Anthony McFarlane, and they're going to have flashbacks to when he was running down the sidelines and Tuff Borland was trying to chase him down like he was shot in the leg. Um, and I think they're going to be a little fired up, you know, and I don't think Tuff Borland's necessarily going to play a lot. This seems like more of a Baron Browning game. But I, I think the defense is going to show up. But, Nate, is there one defensive player other than Chase Young that you're really looking forward to see in this game? Hmm. I'm, I'm excited to see what Zach Harrison's going to give from us. I think he's going to get a lot of playing time. It'd be great if he could be playing at a very high level going into the end of the season there. Uh, I think that could help this team tremendously. Hey, you, you stole the words right out of my mouth. Great minds think alike. I am going to say the same thing there. Also, I'm just kind of – I don't know how much time he'll play because the starters will get pulled, but I'm, I am I really am looking forward to seeing Pete Warner continue to ascend as one of the best linebackers in the Big Ten. Nobody – he might actually end the year as most improved player uh, compared to what he was at the end of last year. We were talking about a guy that was potentially not going to start and I guess that's what happens when you, you know, you shake up the coaches. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I love old Petey Warner. I can't believe I'm saying that. Mike, let's, <laughs> we've got one question here from the listeners. Uh, it, it's from Zach. I think it's an interesting one. I, I want to know your thoughts. Um, Zach says Willie Taggart was fired after only a season and a half at the helm at Florida State. What is an appropriate length of time to give a coach, a, a, a head coach at a program? And what are your guys' thoughts on buyouts? It's funny because this has switched so much because back in the day, the adage was you got to give the coach four years, right? Uh, it's four years because you got to give them a chance to bring in their guys, you know, because the theory is after four years, everyone on the team was recruited by the coach, you know, at one point at least. And he's got his guys in for a system. So I think that's a really tough question to answer. Like for Georgia Tech, for example, they used to run the triple option, and now they totally switched, and now they're trying to do more of a spread. So for a coach like that, I feel like you got to have a little bit more of a leash. But for a program like Maryland, the talent's clearly there. Offensively, they were a very good team last year with Tyrell Pigrome and Anthony McFarland. So if you're brought in as an offensive mind like Mike Loxley, and your offense is struggling that much, even with personnel that might not be your own, I would cut bait immediately. And with Willie Taggart, he was just an abject disaster. So I understand these big programs. I get to, to answer your question succinctly. I understand these big programs like the Florida State cutting bait with Charlie Taggart after a year or two. But if I'm a lesser-known program, a middle-of-the-road middle Big Ten team, I think you got to give a guy like three or four years unless he's just an absolute abject failure. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I, I think I think what you said is is true. I think the tough part is that Willie Taggart inherited a Florida State program that, let's face it, they were already on a downward slope. Right? You, you look at you look at them and and Jimbo Fisher's last year. It wasn't a good year. Um, and so he was inheriting what was already a bit of a disaster. Um, and so you have to take that into consideration. But I think you're right, Mike. These big-time programs, you can't afford to be a Michigan and give Rich Rod four years. You can't afford to give Brady Hope all, all the time that you did. 
However, if like you said, if you're a team, uh, the the one that comes to mind is Kentucky, right? Kentucky hired Mark Stoops several years ago. Um, his first year, I think he went two and ten. I think probably three and nine, four and eight. And then last year they went ten and three. And and this year they've had three quarterbacks get hurt. They're playing a receiver at quarterback right now, but they're they still have a winning record. Um, and, and so I think you have to give guys the appropriate amount of time um i i think that's a must and so it, it certainly depends on the program and and the pressure as well um mike what do you think about the the whole buyout scenario i, I heard over the weekend that willie taggart actually the the boosters there in 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 uh tallahassee raised 20 million dollars over the weekend and told the you know the athletic department if we raise this money get Willie out of there on you know on Sunday and sure enough it happened. Um, what are your thoughts on buyouts? Is is this a good clause to have? Um, you know, are, are coaches worthy of getting a seventeen million dollar payout for doing nothing? I mean, if the schools are dumb enough to make a hire like that, then they should be uh, you know they should have to pay the price. In fact, I would actually think that it would be more of a penalty. I guess, like, we, you, things need to be done in college football to close the gap between the really, really big schools and the really, really small schools because there's already such an enormous gap as it is, right? And if you, like, have these big programs just not have a buyout, they're just going to keep, like, like bringing in the best guy and then firing him for the next best guy with no repercussions, right? And I think that, you know, hey, if they can pay $20 million, that's fine. But I can tell you what, if another Florida State guy comes in and he has a buyout, they're not going to be doing that again, you know, because even if the boosters can rally together $20 million, yeah, you can't you can't just keep going to that well over and over again. So I, do you know if Clay Helton in USC has a buyout? Because I feel like that's obviously we talked about it last week about Urban Meyer potentially going there. Is that yeah. potentially an opportunity? Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure that it would be, and that that presents an interesting question, Mike. That I wanted to follow up on this with if if you are a you know uh, a high ranking defensive coordinator or offensive coordinator, you're a coach at you know Appalachian State or some you're a hot commodity. Which of these two jobs do you want more? Do you want the USC job or do you want the Florida State job? Mm. Oh man, that is so tough. Uh, I would actually say the Florida State job because the ACC looks pretty wide open right now. Like outside of Clemson, which is obviously an enormous hurdle, uh, the rest of the ACC is pretty bland. Florida State is still a hotbed for recruiting. They just got to go back into Miami and Bradenton and basically all those. I mean, there's so much high school football talent in Florida, you know. And for the most part, I guess you could really say the same thing about USC too. But I just feel like the expectations uh, for Florida State are a little bit lower right now. I think for USC, there might be more of a win-now mentality, and I think the Pac-12 is a little bit stronger, uh, considering that what Mario Cristobal is doing in USC, Stanford's having a down year, but they've been very competitive. Washington's solid. So, uh, I, you know, I, I, I'm going to lean and say uh, I'd rather have the Florida State job if I'm one of those, like, Scott Satterfield type guys. Yeah, you can't really go wrong with either job. Um, I, I think I'd I see what you're saying with uh with Florida State, but I think I'd actually go ahead and pick um, USC because hey, who wouldn't want to live in Southern California? That's all I've got for that though. 
That's, that's a good reason. Yeah, that's actually a great point because Tallahassee is, and I'm saying this as someone who lives in Florida, it's absolute trash. It's terrible. Uh, outside of the yeah, capital and, and the campus, there's nothing there. It's just Alabama. Uh, you know, that's, that's, what it, that's what it is. Good country music, though. Florida Georgia line, you know? True, true. Um, that's a good question. We appreciate it. Remember, send any questions at Nuts for Bucks Pod. Nate, let's close out this podcast with an official pick for Ohio State, Maryland. Uh, I guess more importantly, do you think they're going to cover the spread? Because Ohio State 71 against the spread this year. 44 points. Yeah, I think the Buckeyes do cover the spread. I think this thing gets ugly quick. I'll pick the Buckeyes to win at 62-3. to Okay. I'm going to go with the same margin. I'm going to say we do the same thing to them as Penn State did, and I'll say 59 to nothing. So we are both predicting a really big lockdown game uh, from Chase Young in the defense. And Nate, Nate was the first person to call it if uh, Chase Young gets four sacks on Saturday. Yeah.